You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Chris Downey, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Good to have you on the program. It's great to be here. I am fascinated by the in-process experience you're involved in right now, and I'd love for you to share a little bit about your faith journey, and then we're going to zero in on an experience you had with a group of people that Perry Marshall is involved with that you received what he calls a memo from the head office, which is really a word of knowledge, and it completely shifted your life, man. Oh, totally. I mean, rapidly. <laughs> so I still can't get over it. That's exciting. So let's hear a little bit about your experience you had growing up and what you're doing now. No, absolutely. So yeah, when I was a kid, I think fifth grade, I, you know, I was an altar boy and, and I really enjoyed it. I, I think I had a really close relationship with God, but there were things going on in my family at the time that just made like life darker and darker, pretty dysfunctional, abusive at times. And I do recall that I would, I would pray that this would end. And it seemed like the more that I prayed, the worse it just got. And it really made me angry. And I also had really bad allergies in fifth grade. And like my eyes would burn horrendously. And my parents took me to a healing service. And I recall that the, the, whoever was leading it, he looked like a priest to me. I don't know if he was a priest. But he walked right by me, right? I, I remember that was like the nail in the coffin. I was like, this stuff, this is so fake. Mm. You know, it's either God doesn't exist or I just had this rage. Because I remember my mom telling me, like, well, you must not have wanted it enough, which is why you weren't healed. And I, I was thinking, I, yeah, I was like, I totally want it. Are you kidding me? So everything kind of changed after that where I decided, well, I tried being really good and it didn't work at all. So I guess I'll just be rotten and I'll be bad. <laughs> I got pretty good at, at being bad, hanging out with some of the uh, people that weren't so good. My, you know, my f- friends changed, started by the time in eighth and ninth grade, suspended 20 times, almost expelled from the school system twice. Yeah. And I didn't even think I was going to go to college, to be honest. It, it just got so bad at home that when I was 15, my, my mom left and I, I had been talking to her about it for like a year saying, you, you got, you just got to go. It's just, it's so bad. You'll be a lot better if you just moved out. Mm. And so she moved out, but then it became like almost impossible for me to stay there. The conflict between me and my dad, I would take that anger into school. And I later learned that I occurred as being very explosive to the teachers. A lot of them were kind of scared of me. They might tap me on the shoulder. I'd whip around like I was going to punch them. I mean, there was a ton of anger, but it, it was actually... Now, looking back, it was one of the best things to happen to me that I needed to move out and move in with my mom because she had almost no money. She was working three newspaper routes, three adult newspaper routes, and there was like no food, almost nothing there at all. So all of a sudden, it's like I was hungry and I need to work. And that really brought um, that brought a, a change in me like, okay. I've got to get serious. And that helped a lot. I decided I was going to go to college and thought I would be a lawyer. I had a, a wonderful girlfriend with a beautiful family. 
in college who introduced me to computers. His name's Jim Catchpole. And by the end of by the end of college, I was I discovered that I wasn't really interested in law. This, Computers were much more fascinating. And Jim opened a door for me to get an interview at IBM because I had just taught myself so much about operating a computer, you know, installing software, configuring all that, and talked my way into a one-year temporary administrative position at IBM, which really just kind of set me on the career path for the rest of my life. Because mm-hmm. I, I met a few of his friends, and they were all frustrated teachers at IBM, 25, 35, 40 years there. And they really kind of took me under their wing, gave me little tasks. And by the end of the year, I had learned enough to secure a professional software development job. Wow. You know, when when I look back on all the difficult times, I can see that it was really, that God really never left me. Because whenever, like, because there are a few times when I really needed a change of course, the right people somehow always cross my path. You got into the software development space, and you've been doing that since, haven't you, in one form or fashion? Yes. I think it's a much better fit for, for my personality than, it, say, being a lawyer would be. Uh, for example, I'm, I just discovered a few years ago through my wife's work that our middle son is dyslexic and he got that from me i had no idea i was dyslexic but you know if it, being a lawyer and dyslexic would be very difficult but dyslexia also provides some gifts in terms of creativity solving really difficult problems and that's a that's a good fit for software mm-hmm. let me clarify something jim was the father of the person you were dating at the time yes right right now right. The, the person you married was not Jim's daughter, though. So you, no. found, you found somebody else. You, the wife you are married to, did you connect with her after college? Yeah, it was after college. I was a resident advisor for the last two years in college, and we had the same group of friends, but we didn't meet until maybe a year after college at a wedding. A wedding that I, I didn't even want to go to. I was planning on not going. Seriously. And my friends, they spent like three months. I'm not kidding. They spent three months bugging me to the point where I felt a little guilty and a little moved. And had I not gone to that wedding, I never would have met my wife. As you're sharing this with me, I'm hearkening back to our phone call prior to this conversation where you said you had no interest in being involved in this memos from the head office thing. There's a theme somewhat. I didn't want to do this. And here I show up. And it's exactly what I needed. <laughs> Actually, that's really that's really interesting. Yes, I, I hadn't put it together the way you just did, but yeah, I would. I thought because I first joined the Perry Marshall's group, Planet Perry, primarily to learn more about marketing. You get to get better with business and marketing. I'm really pretty. I'm a pretty good software developer, but with, when it comes to marketing. Not so good. You know, I, I tried doing it myself for a little bit, and I discovered well, I was really pretty pretty ineffective. And uh, so I was really surprised when I saw an email from him, you know, after I had been a member already for like a month mm-hmm. about, hey, memos from the head office. I'm like, what is this? Right. What the heck is and this? Yes. It, yeah. And in, even reading it, he's a, he's a wonderful writer. He's a wonderful writer. He can clarify pretty much anything. And, you know, I still did not understand what is this after reading a, a long description of it. So I was like, well, I'll just show up and try it out here. And let me pause just for the listeners so they have some idea of what Memos from the Head Office is. This is basically an opportunity for a small group of people to give their first name, 
last initial and they get on a conference call and that call may go for an hour and a half. Basically, the people that are on the call that are running the call, there's a couple people that are very gifted with respect to praying and hearing from the Lord, then providing whatever they hear to that person. And all they have is the person's first name and last initial. That's all. And they don't get it until that session. They don't get it like a day in advance or anything either. So you were intrigued by this and what happened next? Yes. Well, yeah, I'm listening because you can hear other people's memos while you're waiting for yours. And it's like, gosh, this, this all sounds kind of vague because it's because they're speaking in a more metaphorical language that that we're not really used to today and then like you'll get a memo it comes in somewhat metaphorical language and it's kind of up to you to work with it and of course at, at the time i had no idea like how do i actually work with this and then my name came up and i recall the first thing gary said was there's you know chris i'm i'm seeing there's going to be a, a forfeiture now you're not going to forfeit anything. Someone else is, but you're going to, I don't think you have to do anything legal, but it's almost like there's this balloon and they've built they've, they've, this goal they've had working on for a long time. But for whatever reason, they've just, it's just time for them to move on and do something different. And they're just going to let go of this balloon and you're going to be right there and you'll be able to take hold of the balloon and run with it and, and you'll build on it. And I remember thinking, what is this? <laughs> what is this balloon? I, part of me was scoffing, but part of me was also, what could this possibly be? Right? I knew there, I knew there had to be something more to it because I had looked into Perry's background quite a lot. And he's really, you know, he's a very smart guy, very successful. He's done a lot. So it's like, okay, there's got to be something here that I'm missing. So the memo ends. And I wasn't really sure what to do. And a couple of days pass. And then one morning, see, I woke up and it's like 6.45. And it's like, I just had this sudden insight. Because another th- a thing that I had forgot that Gary also said is that I should be looking for this balloon. I should be looking at cross sections of people that I've been neglecting. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about because I had been on uh, a few months earlier. I had been added to a uh, informed consent activist signal group, encrypted text. So you, you just, it's like a private way of, of communicating. Yeah. The signal app. Yes. The signal app. Yeah. It's a wonderful app. And I had been neglecting it recently because there's just, there was just so much noise on there. I was like, Oh, this is making it hard for me to focus. So, I'm not going to look at it for a while. And it had been a while since I looked at it. And it just kind of popped into my mind like, oh, I need to look at this right now. And it was almost like something else was telling me to look at it because it didn't really seem to be me. I I know that sounds weird, okay, because it it, it sounds weird to me. But and then I I was like, okay, I'm just going to look at this thing because this is something I've been neglecting. And I'm I'm not kidding. As soon as I opened it up, I see like all this upset because there's something that was being shut down and everyone had literally just two days notice to find another online home. It was like, it was similar to an email list, but more extensive. Mm -hmm. It had literally 600 some people and many of the names that I knew. And it was a, it was like a community 
that they had come to trust and really just be a part of. And whoever set it up, I guess, decided that that, I'm done with this for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And what was even more amazing about that is while I'm seeing like everyone's trying to figure out what to do and they're, and there's upset and confusion. It's like, Oh, I know exactly what to do because I've already set up an online community uh, called the VaxCalc forum meant for people who want a safe space for discussing vaccine choice. Now the, the challenge with setting up an online community it isn't so much the technology. It's when you first set it up, there's no one there. Right. And so if you don't have anyone there, <laughs> people aren't really you know, too excited to join. <laughs> right. And at this time I had maybe, I had maybe 15 people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe 15 people. And the experience for them was probably kind of disappointing. So I just put it out there really without thinking, Hey, I'll get everyone who wants to come over. I'll get you all over in, in less than 24 hours. Okay. So I, and I just gave very simple instructions of what, what needed to happen. And in less than 24 hours out of 700 some people, I think we brought over about 650. Wow. So the community that I really want to build and protect from censorship and and have open supportive discussion went from almost nothing to hundreds, literally in a day. And that was the red balloon that I was told I would have an opportunity to grab a hold of. And I just felt like my whole view of life at that moment was turned upside down and inside out. I was like, this is undeniable. I cannot explain what happened. I can't explain how he did that. There's really no other explanation other than they must have really, as they said, trained themselves to listen for the voice of God in silence. And I, and I, I just got this burning, burning hunger to like, I have to learn more about this. Yeah. So I'm like signing up for the next memo. I'm, doing private memos where it goes for like an hour and it's just with you. And I've got more faith transformation in my life rapidly from that, including healing of my anger at God in the past, all kinds of just unbelievable things. In a way, you could say, I feel I am a totally different person than I was a year ago. It's interesting. You say that you went from basically resentful agnosticism to -hmm. this new kind of faith constellation. Yes. What was life like before this? I mean, you said resentful agnosticism. Was there just a sense of anger and kind of the fist up toward God? Most of the time, I didn't think about God, or at least I didn't think I did. But when I would hear someone, like my mom is very deeply religious and has a, a very deep relationship with God, I could barely stand to hear her talk about God. And it made it very difficult to talk with her on the phone because it, it just, I would feel this disgust. Yeah, your skin would crawl, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, it, it totally would. And, and this is really sad, but like for a good two years, I barely talked to her because she was always talking about God. And I was like, oh, I can't take this anymore. Oh my gosh, it doesn't make any sense. I never stepped back and, and tried to work on that aspect of, of myself. Mm-hmm. That resentment, I think, just kind of colored how I viewed everything in life. After you received this word... And it came to pass, and it was clear that this was a word from the Lord. Right. What shifted inside of you, and how has your relationship with your mother changed? I still didn't talk to her all that much. Okay, It's only been recently that I've been talking to her a lot, Mm -hmm. because I felt like I I had to go on this faith journey and get to a point, a deeper point myself, because I knew how reactive I had become to hearing her 
talk about God. But I'll tell you something, another memo I got that just it blew me away even more. Okay. So I think this was in August 2020. Gary said, Chris, I don't know exactly what this means. You're going to have to take it to, to the Lord. Um, but the Lord wanted me to tell you that he's looking forward to starting up where you left off. Mm. And I nearly fell backwards off my chair because I knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about where, where I left off in fifth grade with that you know, early story where I had a relationship with God, but then felt like I had been abandoned or betrayed. And it just, it, I mean, I almost felt dizzy when I heard that. It was disorienting, but in a real, like in a deeply moving way, almost like there was something inside of me that was crying, but more joyful kind of crying, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like the, the Spirit of God was reaching down inside of you and yeah. shining a light on that space and awakening you to the fact that he has loved you always. Yes. Most of my life, I could be around people and I would still always feel the sense of I am alone. But now things are so different and I, with faith in, in God um, that I can be alone, but I don't feel alone. It, it's very new. And sometimes I have a hard time finding the words to explain it. So you're in process. Yeah. Yeah. Another experience will be like, I'll just notice, you know, I'll be looking at people and it's like, gosh, they're all so beautiful. And I, I that's, believe me, that's not me. You know what I mean? Like, at least that, that was not, that was not me. Because normally I'd be looking and like, sort of like a, just a typical kind of slightly suspicious, who's that? What right. do they want? Yeah, it clearly sounds like your heart's been filled and activated by the love of God, which is priceless. Right. Tell me how this has affected your family dynamics. Yeah. Well, I think the process is still so new that the kids are suspicious, right? And in fact, they, <laughs> they've, in a way, become sort of a mirror of how I used to be. And I had no idea how much of a scoffer I was. I always viewed myself as a little more respectful, <laughs> even <laughs> if I don't believe I remember when I first mentioned the memos, <laughs> my boys were like, Dad, you're getting ripped off by some people that probably live in India. <laughs> <laughs> I know, sort of like the scam artists. And they yeah. call and they say, hello, this is, this is Verizon. I need your ID and your password. <laughs> so it's a, a big change. It's been a, I'm much more patient with my wife, Kimberly. I appreciate her a whole lot more. And God's really opened my eyes to how harsh and critical I had been for, or I could be for, for, for a long time. And it's something I never recognized in myself. I think I had a much better view of myself than I really was. And so part of the faith journey is challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, God does challenge you and shows you how you really are. But I, I don't think he shows you everything all at once. It's like just enough that you can handle. And I, and I also at the same time have a sense that, well, he's like my partner in, in transformation or partner in working on this mm -hmm. I, because I'm approaching him with intense eagerness and then he's working on me to help me become the person he created me to be. And if you just listen to what I just said for the past minute or two, I can barely believe those words came out of my mouth. <laughs> I have to just go back to your comment that you said you're much more patient with Kimberly. That's great if you say it, but if she says it, I'll believe you. She, she actually did say it. She said it a few times, right? And I didn't even ask. That's wonderful. 
Yeah, I did. I did not ask. Of course, um, I'm being somewhat funny, but you know where I'm coming from. I think that's the the only true test is how other people respond to you. It's not what you think. Right. Abs- absolutely. There's another really important thing that that Perry directly introduced me to because I I was looking at he sometimes he jumps into the discussion areas in Planet Perry mm-hmm. and he had mentioned something about hiring an intercessor and it's like I don't even know what this is. What does this mean, hiring an intercessor? Right, so I emailed him, and he, he explained it a little bit. He's someone that prays for his business. And I was thinking, wow, this is really interesting. And this was maybe back in October. And that's how I met Amy of Workplace Prayer, because Perry provided the introduction, because I wanted to learn more. And Workplace Prayer with Amy and Bob have, have been a, just a wonderful influence on even more of like a turbocharging of my faith. They've really taught me to pray in an entirely different way. You know, I was raised Catholic and very comfortable with mumbling, like, you know, kind of quiet prayers. And yeah. Like that, like that, right? I was always very uncomfortable with being really open, enthusiastic, praying with power. I know I don't have the right words, but you probably know what I mean. There's a different kind of style of praying. And I've really stepped into it. And, and I had this amazing experience one time on, on, on their Tuesday prayer calls. This was when I was really kind of struggling with putting the prayer to words and allowing it to come out of my mouth. Because mm-hmm. I felt very... Self-conscious? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word. So I said, there's a... On the Tuesday call, it's, it starts with praise. Like you'll have a, you'll, you'll choose a scripture and you pray from it, but you'll start with praise. And then the second part of the call, you pray from a scripture. And I was having the hardest time with praise. And I think part of it was pride. I'm like, I don't want to praise any, anyone, even God in front of a whole bunch of other people. I do recognize that now as pride, but I, I, I gave it an attempt. And soon as I was done, I got my own direct memo that I could hear. And, and I was told that. Chris, that was really stingy. Let me explain. But then the memo went on. It was, it's actually very easy to do. And then God showed me my favorite picture of my daughter. And she was like three and a half or four. We were walking through a field and she had picked up a buttercup flower and she was staring at it as like the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen. And I was lucky enough that I, I captured that in a photo. And he brought, God brought that up and showed me the picture. And then he just said, when you're praising, it's so simple. Just pretend that you are expressing your, your love directly to your daughter. That's how you do it. Precious. I just see that picture in my mind of your daughter holding that. And I'm telling you, after that, after that little memo, it's like the floodgates just opened. It became something that was, it went from like immediately, it was just so much easier just to praise. Mm. Just like you said, God is giving you just enough to go to that next step yes, and continue to draw closer to him. You know, a question yes. that came to mind, Chris, is what would the Chris of today have told the unbelieving, kind of resentful Chris of yesterday? What would you counsel somebody who's in that space, the old Chris, to consider? Wow, that's a really powerful question. I would say that a really important part of faith which I don't think is well understood or not well communicated is that God is really with you at all times, especially during the really difficult times when you feel like you're alone. If you look at Jesus' life, 
and at the end, the whole the whole idea of like carrying the cross and being crucified. When you're going through your roughest times, that's a time when you can really reach out and just open your heart. Well, I think what I hear you saying, Chris, if yeah. I could phrase it, is he has never left you. In fact, if you allow him, he'll be even more present in those most difficult places. Right. And and the other thing, too, is if you look back, you can see how God has a way of turning really difficult stuff into gifts. Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing to accept the gift. And I wasn't willing to accept the gift. I just really just wanted to make God wrong and tell him what a jerk he was. And, and, and much stronger language, which I won't say here. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I think that's I think that's what I would say. And it, But it would be hard to hear. You know, it would be if it was me back then, even just a year ago, and hearing that message, it would be really difficult. Let me paint a picture here. Let's say, and this yeah. is kind of asking the same question, but a little differently. Let's say that you have a, a dear friend and you walk up to him on the street and you see he's exactly where you used to be, full of anger, resentment. I think it might be better, at least for me, I probably wouldn't talk much about God. I would just be with my friend through the hard time, just make myself a presence, a supportive, loving presence in his or her life. I think that the presence of God and the expression of your faith or the, just that, the love of God flowing through you is just when you're just present with people who are going through something really difficult so that they're not feeling alone. It's kind of like when you hear the platitudes coming forth when you're in a difficult place. It's like, I don't need that. I need you. I need you to just be with me through this right yes. now. Yes. Yes. In a way, it's no different than like when you, with your kids, right? You can tell them, you can have no time for them to see them just a little bit, right? And say, I love you so much. I'm so glad we have this quality time. That's just, you might feel better, right? Because you're deluding yourself. But what they really need is your presence, your predictable presence, you being around for them. And I think that's an expression of God in, in your life, is just is being there for people. What are you most excited about at this moment for the future? Man, there's so much. Uh, <laughs> almost every day is surprising in, in terms of the faith journey. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't know how God's going to show up. <laughs> and it's, this might sound weird, but I'm starting to think he might have a sense of humor. you think (laughs) yeah i think so i I think so i love it i don't know like what's gonna happen i feel like i'm seeing things with new eyes and with new insights i always thought i enjoyed life but life's like a thousand times more interesting and moving at the same time like i'm really excited about just how much more easily moved i am by things like a sense of compassion that i didn't previously really feel i'm excited to see what happens with my kids if i can you know inspire them to open up to faith right but it's going to have to be done without a whole lot of talking it's really got to be more an example and i'm not exact i'm not really sure how i'll do that mm-hmm. but i do believe that god will guide my steps and i don't have to worry about it and, and for me to say that is just like, who's this guy? <laughs> I know. I get the sense as we've been talking here a couple of times, you've mentioned this. It's like you're standing outside yourself listening and you're going, who is this guy? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And one, one of the things I, I also wanted to share is I, I use the word constellation in some of the answers. And that's been really important for me. And I'm not saying it would be important for anyone else, but it's been really important for me. And what I mean by constellation is I was raised Catholic and part of my journey now is like I have a much deeper appreciation 
of Catholicism and the solemnity of the mass, right? But as part of the constellation, I also really enjoy praying with workplace prayer. It's more expressive, it's more personal, but both I find really important to, to keep in my life and to go deeper in. And another part of the constellation of my burgeoning faith is centering prayer practice every morning through the work of Father Thomas Keating. And just being still. The idea is that the language of God is silence. That's another way I've been developing my faith, getting really grounded. That scripture, be still and know that I am God. Yes. Even a year ago, I couldn't read the Bible. It was impossible. I would try. On occasion, I would look. And it just meant nothing to me. I was like, what is this? Mm. It just, I couldn't get, it just seemed like a bunch of words. I couldn't get anything from it. But now it's like, I see so much more in it, but it's also, it's unfolding. Mm -hmm. It just continues. It's it's almost like emergence. It's like, I'll, I'll get, I'll read something in in scripture and I'll, and I'll be able to see its importance for me or it's a message or meaning to me. But then I might come back a few weeks later and, and, and there's even more there. It's almost like there was blinders on my eyes for so long. Well, there were. What's yes, there were. <laughs> yes, there were. <laughs> and, and, but, but what's interesting is like I was the one choosing to keep them there. Like I was the one who held on to that anger and resentment. And I used that anger and resentment as a way to power myself in the world, to, to give me energy, to be happy, to try to be successful, to, to find some kind of meaning to it just it it is a form of energy so i never realized that until actually just now talking to you when it wears you out trying to do that doesn't it actually it really can it totally can wear you out or you get addicted to it you constantly need something to fight that's so well said i can see that as we finish up here chris i was going to ask you if there was any piece of advice you could give somebody listening who's really just kind of starting that journey What would you share? I think the thing that that slowed me down the most is doing everything myself. I I would try to find a faith community, even if it's like a Bible study, a book club. Mm -hmm. Workplace prayer is really important for me. I mean, absolutely critical. I've really gone from someone trying to do everything myself with unbelievably slow progress to just finding others at various points along the journey and try things you're uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. For example, I, I, I would recommend getting that book, Memos from the Head Office, and reading it. It's short. It's an easy read. If scoffing comes up, if disbelief comes up, let it come up, right? And then maybe try something. I think the important thing is to try something for yourself. Whatever it is, it's going to be uncomfortable. It absolutely is. There's nothing we can do in life that we haven't done before, right? That we do it and it's all easy. Like even just working out can be a little painful. Keeping yourself in shape can be a little painful. Spiritual growth can be a little scary. When you feel that kind of trepidation, I think that's a really good sign. Mm -hmm. It's a good sign. You're taking some steps and you're doing something important. Would you be open to praying for our listeners as we finish up? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I know there's a a lot of people who were in, who are in the kind of the, the scoffer state that, that I was in. I've had many friends past and, and present who are, and you know, I'm, I'm just praying that, that God will open their hearts just a little bit because the heart gets kind of crusty and it gets harder and harder you know, as we go through our lives to open our own hearts. And so I'm praying that God will soften up their hearts and open it up a little bit for 
them to experience the love of God and to find the steps they need to take into faith and being open to the love of the spiritual journey. Because really, it's you don't have to know anything. I knew nothing in advance. You don't have to know anything at all about what you're doing. You, you can even ask God to give you the desire if you don't even have the desire. You just start from where you're at. So I'm praying that that God will touch many lives through this interview and, and bring them the love that I've been experiencing in just un, an unbelievable abundance. Yeah, in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chris, thanks for sharing your journey. It's wonderful to hear it. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.